Chapter 1 A man-killer named Charlie Breen rode in first. He came in from the east astride a frisky buckskin mare, drew rein about midway along Main Street, then swung down and tied up at a nearby rack. Short and muscular, with dusty blonde hair and a square, boyish face, he was, after all, barely more than twenty years old. He stretched briefly to ease the cramps out of his back. Then adjusting the set of his low-slung cold peacemaker, he ambled oh-so-casually across to the little alleyway between the marshal's office and the Colfax drugstore, where he dug out a machine-made cross-cut cigarette, lit up, and drew smoke deep into his lungs. As he tipped ash off the end of the cigarette, he studied the thoroughfare carefully from beneath the broad brim of a battered gray hat. Main Street Colfax, State of Colorado a wide, rutted stretch of hardpan that meandered between facing rows of false-fronted, plank-built stores, saloons, eateries, and hotels, with a regular flow of wagon and horseback traffic raising noise and dust to the cloudless morning sky, and a steady procession of townspeople hurrying about their business along each boardwalk. Spitting a stray flake of tobacco off his lips, he decided that Bowman had called it right yet again. Mining town, he'd said. Tin and copper, mostly, but a bunch of other metals, too, whose names Breen couldn't pronounce, but which, apparently, had considerable value. In other words, a money town. And a bank that was packed tight with the stuff. But not, he reminded himself coolly, for much longer. About fifteen minutes later, Ace Hotchkiss, a tall, underfed man with dark, rubbery features, shaggy black hair and loose, sloping shoulders, rode in from the west and dismounted outside the dry-goods store next to the bank. As his horse dipped its muzzle to the nearby public trough, Hotchkiss himself studied the bank covertly through hungry, steel-blue eyes. Big, square, and sturdy-looking, constructed from heavy gray stone slabs eighteen inches thick, with small high windows screened by fat iron bars and two massive oak doors, it dominated Main Street. But Hotchkiss, thumb scratching his whiskery jaw thoughtfully, remained unimpressed. An old hand at the stick-up business he'd seen and robbed too many other banks just like it to think this one would be any different. Deciding that the horse had drunk its fill, he tugged the animal a little further along the street, flipped his reins around a tie-rack there, and went up onto the boardwalk, where he made a big show of admiring the goods displayed in the store window. Not that he really saw any of them, of course. He was too busy thinking about the money they were just about to take and all the high times it would buy when the job was done. The rest of the gang, three men, drifted in ten minutes later. On the far right came Ed Craven, a big-bellied man of average height who viewed the world from out of one squinty brown eye in a frayed black patch. At forty-six, Craven was the oldest member of the gang, Complex and fidgety, he was also the least predictable. The lower half of his jowly face was covered by a fuzzy, once-red beard that was now shot through with gray, and stained brown around the lips by chewing tobacco. He constantly scratched and tugged at the brittle growth, especially when he was keyed up like now. Slouching in a well-worn Vesalia saddle to Craven's far left rode Ned Trevor a tall, broad-faced black man whose wide shoulders strained at the seams of his butternut shirt and calico jacket. Younger than Craven by a decade, clean-shaven with flat, dark eyes and a stern, unsmiling mouth, Trevor wore his wash-faded Levi's tucked into scuffed, cavalry-issued boots. The hat that covered his kinky, glistening hair was cavalry, too, 
a dark blue officer's campaign hat, but Trevor had never been an officer. Weren't no black officers in the tenth. No, the hat was more of a keepsake, a memento of the white officer who had caught him in the act of deserting five years earlier, and whom Trevor had run through with his own three-foot, two-inch saber during the scuffle that followed. He'd kept the saber, too, and still carried it with him in a shiny silver scabbard affixed to the left side of his gun belt. The fifth and final member of the gang set his big Sabino horse between the two men, and of all of them he was perhaps the most dangerous. Tall and powerfully built with a narrow, weathered face cut in two by a massive black longhorn mustache, Arch Bowman was the son of a Baptist minister who'd left home young and quickly drifted into bad company. Intelligent, selfish, and apparently unburdened by conscience, he had been taught to kill and to enjoy killing during the late war.